Now, I'm going to introduce my friend David. David leads um, the eldership team at Kingsgate in Bury St Edmunds. He and I came into eldership around the same time uh, under the tutorship of Norman Blows, so he's to blame for both of us, really. Um, Dave has many talents. Whenever I spend time with Dave, it always encourages me to just uh, know more of God and seek the Word. Uh, David loves the Word, loves mission. He's also an optometrist as well, so he helps people see the truth and actually see. Um, and it's a real pleasure to have Dave and Anna with us. So, David, over to you. Thank you so much. Am I on? Can you hear me well? Am I on? Am I good? Are you switched on? I thought I was switched on. I am switched on. There you are. I am switched on. Yes, and I've missed the way you do the announcements. I mean, you just make them sound so exciting. I, I'm almost going to sign up to do the, the refreshments rooms. It's been wonderful. And it's wonderful to see this church because my father in the faith, Norman Blows, planted this church back in, when was it? Back in the 90s or 80s, you know, very, before Wi-Fi, a very long time ago. And uh, I did say to my daughter, who's gone out with your kids today, I said, these, these guys in Kent, they're more sophisticated than the people in Suffolk. So I'm going to have to pray, not preach, I preach for three hours. And she said to me, don't she say it's quite funny? You who knows Norman is going to think it's funny. She said, Daddy, don't become the new Norman. Because <laughs> he's got a reputation at Kingsgate of preaching the longest. So I won't do that. And also, thank you, Ian. It's the first time you've introduced me without saying that you're going to offer interpretation for my accent. So thank you very much. So today we're going to look at the subject of what about suffering? And uh, Ian and Gemma, they are very wise. It's always good to give an illustration. So you're going to have to endure my preaching as an illustration of suffering. <laughs> Psalm 130 is where we're going today. This is a massive, massive topic. This is a massive topic for Christians, because this will never go away in your walk with God. This is a massive topic for people who you share your faith with, and so we really could do several sermons on it. So I want to have a little look at, just touch on it theologically. I want to have a little look at it um, apologetically. I want to have a little look at a good response to suffering when we are going through it ourselves and when others that we know are going through a bit of suffering. And then I want to have a little look at how the gospel speaks into it. So quite a bit, really. So theologically, whenever myself and Anna got married, one of the things that happens when you get married, this was in 2006, you make vows, and I had nothing to bring to the table in terms of possessions. But I uh, made the vow, and Anna made the vow, saying, all I have, I share with you, or something along those lines. And I got to share the beautiful 144,000-mile faith ravel. Money was a bit tight at the time, so we decided we would skimp on, on uh, servicing the vehicle. We were having our first Christmas marital tiff, 2006. We were driving down to Anna's parents' house. The car made an unusual noise. Then it stopped in the middle of the road, and uh, the cam belt had gone. I didn't know what a cam belt was at the time, but I soon found out this is why you service your car. The car was broken. 
The car was broken, yet it still looked pretty on the outside. It was still our beloved faith gravel. This world we live in is broken. Theologically, God made a perfect, beautiful, glorious world. And the same way that the faith gravel had stopped working as it should, this world is not working the way it's supposed to work. This world is a cursed world. This world is not heaven. We had a word this morning about bearing one another's burdens. We had a message from Lady Anne about the gift of healing. The reason why we need to bear one another's burdens and we need gifts of healing is because there is suffering in this world. And the Bible is very honest about this. After the second two chapters of your Bible, it is full of suffering, including suffering of God's people. So if you go to the book of Lamentations, the weeping prophet Jeremiah writes an entire book where he is weeping because he is suffering. You will find the book of Job where you have this man who is a righteous man by all accounts. He's following God, he's doing everything right, he's praying for his children and yet all of his children die. He, he loses his health, he loses some of his wealth, he has marital problems. There is suffering throughout the scriptures, there is suffering uh, throughout the Psalms. I love the Psalms. Now whenever I say the word Psalms, I'm not talking about Samuel, I'm talking about the book beginning with P, all right? <laughs> the Psalms, they're full of, of, of men weeping, women weeping because of pain and suffering in this world. The Bible does not try and hide that from us. And my text today is from Psalm, not Samuel, 130. So here we go. The scripture says this. Let's listen to these words. Listen to the emotion in these words. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. This is a prayer from a suffering suffering man of God who cries out to the Lord. So let's have a little look at suffering apologetically. Apologetics comes from the scripture in 1 Peter where we're called to always have a reason or a defense for the hope that is in us. And can I just say that this problem of suffering is not something that only we as Christians have to ask. So we do a lot of evangelism in various Nevins every way this to be going the streets and we ask people from as many backgrounds as there are in various Netherlands, old, young, Muslim, uh, C of E, Catholic, whatever. And this question of suffering, it always comes up and we're always put on the spot. Yeah, what about suffering? But the reality of it is that every worldview needs to answer this question. So we do some mission work in India, in two Indian mission trips, and I've learned that in, in India, in the, in the, in the Eastern uh, worldview, religious worldview, they answer suffering as well. They try to answer suffering and they say it's karma. When you see a little child at the side of the streets begging, no parents, probably belongs to a, um, a gang of, of, of slave owners, they say the reason why he's there 
is because in a previous life he's lived a bad life. Therefore he is being punished in this life for a previous bad life. The Eastern religions, they try and answer this question of suffering too because it's so big. We meet atheists on the street and one of the questions we ask them when we're sharing the gospel is this. Do you believe this statement? The world we live in is broken. And they always say yes. They always say yes, but yet they're atheists. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not a mechanic, but I knew my fate rival was broken. I knew it was broken. It wasn't working properly. The atheist, the naturalist, needs to answer the question, why do we know the world is broken? Maybe it's just the way it is. If there's no God, if there's no higher being. But yet they still say it's broken, and they need to answer why they know that it's broken. We know inside it's broken. So, not only do Christians have to answer this question, everyone has to answer this question. Why is there suffering? Why is there brokenness? And we as Christians need to answer it because it's a very serious topic. My colleague drew me this picture at one work. It's an illustration I got from Andrew Wilson. And uh, so we've got a little laser pointer here. This is great. So this here is a, a monster. It might look quite comical. This is a car wash. This is the car. So whenever we are talking apologetics, we're talking to people that uh, are, are, are objecting to coming to the Christian faith because of suffering. The car here, we'll call it a faith rather, needs to get clean. The monster is in the way of the car. Every human being needs to come to God, needs to come to Christ for forgiveness of sin. There's no other way. There's no other name under heaven which men can be saved. We've all got to come to Christ. And this monster of suffering can get into the way. And the reason why I put it as a monster is because of the seriousness of suffering. I have, I have been at the side of a guy in my church in his early 60s, before his first grandchild was born, on his deathbed. And that's the first time I've been through this. And seeing him breathing his last, surrounded by his family, painful breaths before he passed from this life to the next, is very difficult, very difficult to watch. When we share our faith in Barry's and Edmonds, again, we were confronted with not just the intellectual suffering, but people's genuine, serious suffering that they're going through. I know a lady that she was a nurse, a high-flying nurse in East Anglia. Doing really well. She's married, she kids. And um, she got sick. And she came to see me for her eye exam. That's how I know her. And literally, the only thing she can really move in her body now is her fingers and her hands, and she can just direct her chair around my room. Her husband left her. She can't do the job she loves. Incredible level of suffering I can't relate to. I get annoyed when I stump my finger with, my, with, my, with a hammer. I'm not very good at DIY. But she is suffering at a level that I can't imagine. And yet, it's brought her to God, closer to God. Suffering is a serious monster because it is just so awful. You're doing a, a, a run to crack off, to deliver aid to people who are being bombed out of their homes. It's hard to put ourselves into this place. It's a big monster, and I understand why it stops people getting into that car wash. I understand why it stops people coming to Christ. Epicurus came up with the, uh, inject, the objection long before Christ even came walked this earth. Between 341 to 270 BC, he came up with an argument, something along the lines like this. Who did this design? That 
is so much better than what I sent you. I'll <laughs> just make sure you haven't changed the words. Yeah, you probably should. Wow. Do you want to show? Alright, let's have a look. This is the argument summary of, of Epicurus, which again is fired at us all the time. If there is I've got here, sorry. If there is an all we meet in a school, we're not quite so slick. If there is an all-powerful and loving God, then suffering would not exist. Suffering exists. Therefore, an all-powerful and loving God does not exist. And this this sounds this sounds very logical. If God is all-powerful and yet there is suffering. And, he, and he's all loving, he would stop the suffering, right? So either he's not all powerful and can't stop the suffering, or he is all powerful and doesn't want to. It, it, it makes logical sense when you think about it and it's presented to us in the first, the first time we hear it. Would you agree? Yeah? However, however, there are problems with this argument. And still looking good. Yes. There are problems with this argument because we all know cases in life where suffering is brought in by people that we love for a good purpose. When I was uh, 13 or 14 years old, um, what was a big deal to me at the time, my think is quite blasé, but I had these two teeth and they grew down uh, like this. They were fangs, basically. And they didn't bother me too much. I was quite happy with those fangs. But my parents, my loving parents, they looked at those fines and they thought to themselves, he's not going, he's never going to be able to marry someone like that, you know. <laughs> if he, if he has, he's never going to get that fair forever if he has these fines. So we need to do something. So they took me to the orthodontist and they inflicted pain on me to, for, a, for a better purpose. Now, the pain involved me not being able to eat for a week because of the pain physically. And then, of course, I got my teasing at school because I had these dreadful metal bits stuck to every one of my teeth. And it might seem like a blasé thing, but that was pain brought into my life by somebody that loved me for a better purpose. With our children, one of the things I do when I'm taking them across a road is I, I don't stop looking and listen. I don't look both ways. I wait to see if they do it. And if they don't do it, I bring pain into their lives, discipline into their lives so that they will fear the road because I want them to live, I want them to thrive. I bring pain into their lives for a good reason. And yet this argument from Epicurus doesn't give God the benefit of that doubt. So I've changed it. An all-powerful, oh yes, an all-powerful and loving God would not allow suffering without a good reason. Suffering exists and I can't see a good reason for it. Therefore, there is no good reason and therefore God doesn't exist. I'll read that again. An all-powerful and loving God would not allow suffering without a good reason. Suffering exists, and I can't see a good reason for it. Therefore, there is no good reason, and therefore God doesn't exist. So the problem we've got with this argument is it's very, very prideful. It's very prideful. Now, I could see easily the good reason why God allowed, my parents allowed the braces. And we don't always see the good reason why suffering is in this world. Suffering is in our lives. Suffering is in this life of this nurse I was telling you about. 
We don't always see the good reason. But that does not mean there is not a good reason. I'm going to give you an eye test because as Ian said, I enjoy doing eye tests. I'm an optometrist. So we're going to introduce you to my kitchen. You didn't splice that up at all. You didn't improve it. Now, for the sake of argument, to know you're a smart bunch, this is the entire kitchen. There is not a single part of the kitchen that is not in that picture. Can you all see the kitchen? Yeah? Can you all see the kitchen? So here's your eye test. We have a black Labrador. You may have heard this illustration before. We have a black Labrador. It's called Rosie. It's beautiful. You're going to see her in a minute. And um, I'm going to ask you a question. Is Rosie, our Labrador, in the kitchen? Remember, that's the whole kitchen. Hands up for yes. You're going for yes. There's always one. You're going for yes too. Two. So we've got two for yes. That's very certain. Rosie's in the kitchen. Right. Hands up for no. What, 20%? You guys really do need to come and see me. Hands up for I don't know. Could have backfired slightly. Right. I'm going to tell you something. Right. I'll tell you, ask you again. Is, isn't she nice? Isn't she nice? Yeah. Inspired by Norman. Is Rosie in the kitchen? Hands up for yes. Almost 100%. Hands up for no. Always one. Hands up for I don't know. Okay. Rosie is in the kitchen. Rosie is in the kitchen. We can see that Rosie is there. We can confidently say she's not in the kitchen because she's big enough for our eyes to see. Alright? Big enough for our eyes to see. Rosie's a little bit like my braces. It was easy to see the reason why the pain was allowed into my life. Yes? Or was she hiding in the cupboard? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she was. Now, is there a mosquito in my kitchen? Hands up for yes. Not for yes. Some pride people here. Hands up for no. And hands up for I don't know. Thank you. You've all passed. <laughs> Our eyesight is not good enough to see whether or not there is a mosquito in that kitchen. Our eyes are not, are, are not uh, designed to be able to see at that level of detail. And often the reason why God allows suffering into, into this world, granted it's there because of brokenness in the world, but I know people who suffer a lot more than others, and I don't know the reason why. I know people who, good people, Christian people, who seem to lose everything. And I can't give an answer to the reason why. But it does not mean there is no good reason. And the reason is more like the mosquito than the Labrador. Because we know that God is good. So we go back to our, the argument. An all-powerful and loving God would not allow suffering without a good reason. Suffering exists. I can't see a good reason for it. I'm going to say that does not mean there is not a good reason. Does that make sense? It does not make sense. So that's what I say when I'm sharing apologetically. Now we have a guy in our Bible called uh, Joseph. In Joseph, chapter, in Genesis chapter 50, we've got an incredibly powerful, um, incredibly powerful uh, scripture. So Joseph's story is at the age of 17, he has this vision. In this vision, this dream, 
his brothers bow down to him. He shares the dream, and his brothers don't like it for some reason, so they, they, they beat him. He ends up being sold, taken away from his family, his, his beloved father, and his, his family, and he is, he is put into a pit. His brothers debate killing him, but then he gets sold into, into slavery in Egypt. He then gets falsely accused of a crime he did not commit. He spends time in jail. He's forgotten by those who, who uh, serve him. Um, sorry, he's forgotten by those who he serves in the prison. And that's pretty bad. Can you imagine that? 17, your brothers sell you into slavery? And then we have this wonderful scripture. This is hindsight. In hindsight, you will see the mosquito. You will see the reason. In hindsight, we see here, his brothers came. They fell down before him, fulfilling the dream of 23 years earlier. Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me. Evil was done against Joseph. Suffering was experienced by Joseph. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In hindsight, you will see, you will see the mosquito. Easy to see the Labrador, not easy to see the mosquito. So, but apologetically, the fate bravo is broken. The world is broken. Therefore, we have the suffering. Suffering exists in this world, and a loving, all-powerful God allows it with a good reason. We need to know how to respond to suffering, because suffering is going to is going to hit you. It's going to hit this church. I'm not I'm not, I'm not prophesying it over you in specific, but but uh, I've lived nearly 40 years now, and some of you lived a lot longer, and. Um, I know a lot of people who have lived a lot longer than me, so you can kind of see what's coming. Jordan Peterson says, if you haven't suffered, you will, this life is tough. And if you look through the scriptures, we will see that, that Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. He doesn't say you're going to be wealthy and healthy and everything's going to be amazing and awesome all the time. That's heaven. This is not heaven. The Apostle Paul, one of my favorite humans ever to live, Said, said that three times he asked God to remove a thorn in his flesh. It's a serious suffering for Paul. And three times God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. He left a thorn in Paul's side. Job, I've already mentioned him, he lost everything. Moses led the people out of Egypt and they kept turning to idolatry. He suffered. David Saul tried to kill him, then his son Absalom tried to kill him. We look at Joseph, Timothy suffered with his stomach, and the shortest verse in the Bible is, Jesus wept. Saints of today, mental health, death, persecution, illness, suffering is coming in this life. Forewarned is forearmed. I want to have a look at this psalm. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. We see here that the psalmist's response to 
suffering is not to say suffering exists, therefore there is no God. The psalmist's response, and this is my recommendation to you, if you're suffering now or in the future, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my heroes from the 1800s, he, he was a wonderful preacher, he saw incredible things happen, and he suffered terribly, terribly with depression. Depression is no, it's a big deal, I know it's getting awareness now, but it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And he said, I kiss the rock that brings me to, sorry, I kiss the wave, sorry, that brings me to the rock of ages. In his pain and in his suffering, he went to Christ. C.S. Lewis says that suffering is a megaphone for a deaf world. This morning at 6 o'clock, I was sleeping. I did not know I was sleeping when I was sleeping. And then an alarm went up. And I woke up. And I realized I was sleeping. An alarm clock wakes us up. The megaphone of suffering wakes us up. And that's my testimony. Between the ages of 12 and 21, I suffered with, with severe depression. And it was back in Northern Ireland in the 90s, you don't talk about this stuff. You just don't talk about it. And it got worse and worse and worse. Um, and I might have a couple of months of respite, but every time I came back, it was worse. And when I got to 21, I wanted to kill myself. And I, I had an experience of, of the love of God. I, right out to him. I asked him to show me if he was there and he did. Without that suffering I would never have called upon God because my plan for my life was nothing to do with following Jesus. Suffering woke me up. My good friend Russell, uh, maybe some of you might know Russell, God lives relatively close to this area. He's an evangelist as a, as a church in various levels we partner with his ministry. And when he was, uh, when his son was, was in his late teens, early 20s, he contracted cancer. The son contracted cancer, and he died at 21 years of age. That's, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. And uh, this level of suffering that he goes through, and still goes through to this day, brought him to a place where he became closer to God. And through that, he's launched an evangelistic ministry that's seen many people come to him. When his son was going through the suffering and he still has the suffering in his life. That suffering is not in front of his purpose for God. It's not just blocking him getting into the car wash. It's still there, but it's in the rear view mirror. Still there. He still has questions. But out of the depths, he cried to the Lord. He came close to the Lord. And the Lord is fulfilling his purposes through him. Even in the book of Judges, uh, just reading my own private uh, devotion this week, I noted that God left tribes in the land for the next generation who had not known war to fight. They would learn war. Fighting and suffering brings us closer to Him. So if you're suffering, I want you to remember that just because you can't see a good reason, there, there is a good reason. And in hindsight, you will see that good reason, just like Joseph did. You don't have perfect vision at the moment. If someone else is suffering, and 
I guess I learned a little bit from listening to Rick Warren's testimony and from meeting with this chap in the church who, who died and uh, being by his deathbed. Um, there's an importance of just showing up and shutting up, showing up and being there. The disciples walk past this guy who's blind and they say immediately, hey, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Is he blind because his parents sinned or because he sinned? Often we want to answer questions, ask, answer questions, answer questions, answer questions. People don't need you to answer questions when they're going through suffering. They just need you. They just need you. Rick Warren, uh, who wrote Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church, uh, haven't read all his works, I'm not endorsing him particularly, but just, I just find this very helpful. He, uh, his son committed suicide. And uh, that, again, the level of pain must have been brought into his life. And he said, he said the thing that was so beautiful was that a small group of 25 years just showed up and were there. Didn't try and answer questions. Didn't say, is it because you sinned or because he sinned? They just showed up. And the scripture says, weep with those who weep. It doesn't say, answer the questions of those who weep. Weep with those who weep. Show up and shut up. And then the scripture says here, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. So this, this psalmist here, he's crying out of the depths of despair to God, and he is hoping in God's word. And the beautiful thing about God is he never lies and he never changes his mind. And here are just um, a couple of promises in his word. This, I don't, I don't even know how to do this, but it says, rejoice in sufferings, to Romans, knowing this. So if you're suffering, if you're suffering, know this. Suffering produces endurance Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. That's what this church is all about, right? Hope church. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. And of course, Romans 8, 28, you will all know this. All things work together for the good of, of those who love God and are called according to purposes. Wait for the Lord, hope in his word, and then it says, my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. I don't know if any of you ever waited for the morning before. I get insomnia quite a lot. I won't wake up at like 12 o'clock at night, and then I've got to wait. I've got to wait until 6 o'clock before I get ready for work. And the, it takes a long time for morning to come. And you're wide awake. Just imagine lying in your grass outside looking up at the, I don't do this, but lie on the grass outside and look at the sky and wait for it to turn light. It takes a long, long, long time. But one thing you know, one thing you know is this, if you wait long enough, the morning is going to come. And if you wait for God, He will fulfill every promise He has. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Here we see this guy here. He cries out to God from the depths of suffering. 
And he also knows that he's got sin in his own heart. It's part of the problem. And, and sin is uh, deadly. And here we have, uh, you'll be familiar with this here, you're a well-taught church, you'll understand the Easter, the Easter message, Good Friday, Christ was crucified on the cross. We see the, the nails went through his hands and we see the crown of thorns went through his head. And one of the things is this, I was on this ferry um, in my youth, I can't remember where I was going, maybe, just, maybe over to England from Ireland, and I remember talking to my dad and I said to my dad, Something along the lines of, if I fell into the sea, would you come after me? And to my shock, this is my father, he was very lovely and let me have braces. To my shock, he said no. I, he was serious. He said, I wouldn't come in after you because I would die. He's like, wow, better not fall in. <laughs> and that's my dad, and my dad's a good man, he loves me. He wouldn't jump into the water for me. And we go to this issue of suffering today, and I haven't answered all your questions perfectly because it's very difficult to do that. We've looked at it a little bit theologically, we've looked at it a little bit apologetically, we've looked at the right response when we're suffering and when the other, others are suffering. The one thing that I can say as a Christian man that my Eastern friends cannot say, and my Muslim friends cannot say, I've talked to a lot of Muslims about the gospel as well. They're usually working in barbers and various Netherlands. And they can't say that we can say. Our God, we might not know all the answers. We might not see the mosquito in the room. There could be lots of them in this room. It's very warm here. There could be lots of them. One thing I know is I might not be able to see the reason. It doesn't mean that our God doesn't care. And he has demonstrated he cares. Unlike my dad, he would jump into the water. And he has. Have this mind among yourselves, as Philippians 2, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. Elsewhere it says, all things were made through Jesus and for Jesus. He made everything. Creator God. He empties himself. He takes on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, and he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And guys, sometimes we can, we, as Christians, we can kind of forget this. I read a non-Christian book recently, um, I don't know if some of you read it, it's called uh, Dominion by Tom Holland. Anyone read it? Very interesting. Very interesting. The first, uh, first chapter or so talks about crucifixion. Talks about crucifixion. This is not something trivial. This is a horrendous death. This is the creator God. Those nails through his, through his hands and feet. Probably naked. Mocked. Humiliated. For us. He died in our place. For our sins. Because he loves us. And although we can't see the reason for suffering sometimes. He cares and he has shown he cares by suffering amongst us. He's such a good God. He's such a good God. He's such a good God. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for those who love God and called according to his purpose. Whatever you're going through. Ian, shall I pray?
You stand with me. Earlier on, we had a, a word uh, about, I uh, heard something about taking a hand. And um, uh, the Bible says this it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And you don't have to understand everything to put your hand in Christ's hand. So this morning, I want you to put your hand out to God. And perhaps some of you are here that perhaps you actually haven't put your trust in God. Perhaps this, this monster of, of, of suffering has got in the way of you putting your trust in Him. And I'm just going to lead you, in a, I'm going to lead you all of that because I'll write in a simple prayer. And if you mean this prayer, you can even pray it with me. It's going to be something along the lines of, I, I don't understand everything, I trust you. I'm sorry for my part in bringing brokenness and suffering into this world. Forgive me, and I will follow you. So, why don't you pray out loud with me? Father God, thank you for sending your son. Father, I don't understand everything. I can't give an answer to every suffering situation that I see. But I want to put my trust in you. I choose not to lean on my own understanding, but on you. And Lord, I am sorry for my sin and suffering I have brought into this world. Thank you that your cross means I can be forgiven. And I receive what you did for me on that cross, Lord Jesus. Fill me with your Holy Spirit as Anne has already prayed. And help me to follow the God who works all things for the good of those who love him. And help me to love you. And Lord, I want to pray for this church, Lord God. I want to thank you for this church. I want to pray for every single man, woman, and child here, Lord God. And Father, I want to pray, Lord God, for anybody who is suffering, Lord God, that you would, you would, you would give them a glimpse of what you're doing in their hearts and their minds, Lord God. That they would cry out to you from the depths of pain and suffering, Lord. And I want to pray that this church would be a church full of men and women who do weep with those who weep. who don't have all the answers, Lord God. Father, we suffer well together, Lord God. And I pray that your gospel would advance in and through this people in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Why don't we show our appreciation today?